give a, a referral bonus to Neiman Marcus <laughs> for four people. Wow, that's pretty good. Uh, I um, I was in Chicago this week, as uh, some of y'all, um, hopefully a, a lot of y'all knew, and we're praying for Pastor Kim and myself as we were out there. And um, again, at some point uh, during the week, would love for you to read uh, my thoughts and reflections upon my time there. But while I was there, you know, it was a pretty full schedule. Um, but through um, just eating with people and, and uh, side conversations, uh, snack time, and um, during whatever break times, I, I got to fellowship and talk to a bunch of people along the way. And um, more than a handful of people shared some very hard stories about their experiences at their church. Uh, one person who had been, one pastor had been at his church and raised up a group of leaders to faithfully follow the call of God, um, recently felt like that group of people had betrayed him, betrayed his trust, and had pushed him out of the church. And he's there dealing with the heartache and the fallout of that. Another pastor who's saying, you know, Pastor DL, can you please pray? Because if things don't change, then within the next couple months, um, our church is going to split, kind of like what Sue was sharing about their church in Korea. It wasn't just one or two, but multiple conversations that I had with people. And I thought to myself, why is it like this? It's a sad story, isn't it, of churches and their inability, our inability to get along with each other. It's not just churches. You see this in families, too, when family members can't get along with each other, when Husbands and wives can't see eye to eye and they don't love one another the way that they said that they used to or, or children and parents not getting along or whatever that looks like within the family. And you see this in everyday life when you see conflict and, and, and road rage and all kinds of uh, challenges, strife, conflict, gossip, lying, backbiting, bitterness, mistrust, all of these things that happen. And you see it all over the news from Baltimore to Iraq to Syria to all around the world, the question that in another day, an older day, Rodney King asked is, why can't we all just get along? It's like we've been, we've been almost like insulated in this Disney culture to think, well, there's just one sun and one golden moon, and the smile means friendship to everyone. So much that we share that as time we're aware, it's just a small world after all. Why can't we get along. I think all of us at some point have experienced the heart-pounding difficulty of having the stress of broken relationships. But Jesus is saying, if you're a child of God, you need to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. How? Uh, Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at Matthew 5. I'm going to read the seventh of the eight Beatitudes. We're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And as we read this, we're going to focus on verse 9. And I believe that for anyone who has had any kind of relational difficulty, conflict, strife, challenge, that these words will have lasting impact. And Jesus intended that they would. And so we ask and pray to the Lord God that his word would move in power, that what's dead would come to life as we read and understand the word of God. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. This is God's word. Now when Jesus, now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside 
and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word. As you uh, are reminded, Jesus, again, is talking to Christians. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to the world. He's not talking to Hindus. He's not talking to Buddhists. He's not talking to Muslims. He's talking to his people who have put their trust in Jesus, whose lives have been changed by him. Children of God, people in the kingdom, right? Verse 3 and verse 10 bracket the Beatitudes by talking about the kingdom, saying everything I'm talking about describes life in the kingdom. And as he talks about this, he says, if everyone in the world, verse 9, I'm sorry, if everyone in the world, verse 9, were peacemakers, then we'd be able to get along. What does that mean? Three thoughts. Uh, First thing, very simple. We will either be, we will be either peacemakers or peace breakers. Okay, two options. You'll either be a peacemaker or a peace breaker. Uh, The word peace, you know the Hebrew word for peace, right? You hear it often. Shalom, shalom. Uh, <clears throat> it's one of those words that's easier to, well, it's hard to define. It's kind of a hard to define word. I remember a time I was watching a cartoon when I was little. Uh, I think it was like Bugs Bunny or something like that. And for some reason, they were in like either in Israel or some weird place. But the guy, this guy's walking by uh, another guy and he says to him, shalom. This is not going to make any sense to you because it doesn't make sense to me. And the guy walks back and he responds to him and he says, slalom. And then he walks by. I was like, what in the world is that? What does that, what does that mean? And I, as I was thinking about it today, I was like, that sounds like something that Kenny would say, one of our guys. I was like, man, what does that mean? Shalom, slalom. But what does that mean, shalom? We translate it to be peace, but it's a whole lot more than that. The idea of shalom comes from the old, old, older testament where it describes the world and everything in the world. You, me, people, human beings, nature, uh, God. All of these are like a, a bunch of uh, strands of fabric. You take a bunch of fabric and you throw them on a table, they're, they're going to be disjointed. But shalom refers to the harmonious integration and interweaving of all of these parts in order that there would be wholeness, completeness, perfection, utter harmony, one thing with another and one thing with everything else. The, the best picture is when you understand the Garden of Eden. God, man, woman, animals, nature, all of creation working together, woven together so that there is perfection and beauty and life. It's when this shalom breaks apart because of sin that leads to things like crime and trafficking and murder and lying and theft and stealing greed and all kinds of other things. The world that we live in is a world that has been destroyed of its shalom. And Jesus is saying, listen, you have been called to be peacemakers, to restore the shalom that was broken because of sin. 
And he says, there's only two kinds of people. There are peacemakers and there are peace breakers. Which one are you? Are you the kind of person who builds bridges between people? Or are you one who burns bridges? What kind of a person are you? Do you move towards people and their issues or do you move away from them? Two kinds of people. They're those who make peace and those who break peace. How do you know who you are? I'll tell you, here's a common scene that happens in our home. Olivia is with one or two or three of the kids in uh, one of the areas of our house. And all of a sudden, I hear her scream or yell, Oh, no, quick, get a rag or get a cloth or get a paper towel. And so whoever is within earshot will go and bring it. And then the next thing that she says is incredibly important. Either she will say, oh, my gosh, this is terrible or something to that effect. Or she'll say, it's okay, it's no big deal. How do you know what response is going to be elicited by my beautiful and lovely wife? I'll tell you, I'll tell you. What fills is what spills. So if it's water that was in the cup, that's no big deal. But if it's 8 o'clock in the morning and her coffee spills, it is the end of the world. Because what fills is what spills. Can I tell you? You will only be able to be a peacemaker if you have peace in your heart. Are you the kind of person who's always encountering conflict with people? You know, there's people like that, right? When they, you sit around in, in, in house church and that person never wants to share anything because they got some grudge against everybody else in the house church. Or when they do share, they're like, pray for me. I'm so angry at such and such person. And then the next week, they're like, hey, how's your issue with that person? Oh, it's fine, but ah, oh, but this person stresses me out. I got an issue with this person. And then the next week, it's a different person. In Harvest 201, we teach a principle called the Bob Principle. The Bob Principle says, listen, if Bob has a problem with everyone, then Bob is the problem. Listen, if you've got a problem with everybody, if you're always talking about severed relationships, conflict with somebody, the issue is not with them. The issue is with you. If you can't get along with people, if you're a peace breaker, it's because you don't have peace in your heart. And Jesus, again, he's not talking to everybody out there who wants to be nice. He's saying to those who are in the kingdom, he's saying, listen, you alone, if you've got peace in your heart, are the kind of person that can bring peace to others and make peace in the lives of other people in, their, in your relationship. Shalom begins at the deepest level, which is our peace with God. If you've got peace with God in your heart, then you're going to be able to bring peace to other people. But if you don't have peace here, then you're not going to have peace. You're not going to be able to make peace here. Because what happens vertically with God is going to spill out of you. What fills you is what spills out of you. And if you don't have peace with God, then you're not going to have peace with others. You're not going to be able to bring peace to others either. But if you've got the peace of God in your heart, then you're going to be able to bring peace to other people. Do you have peace in your heart? Peace that will never depart? Do <laughs> you have that in you? You have that peace within you. Because if not, then you can't even begin to talk about being a peacemaker. You need his peace in you. That's the first step. Let's take a step back and say, I need Jesus in my life. People who are chaotic and turmoil in here because the default of our hearts, every heart, 
even the cutest baby, is sinful. And so the default application of our sinful hearts is we will be selfish, we're going to be greedy, we're going to be envious, we're going to be jealous. People with that stuff can't be peacemakers. They will only be peace breakers because what someone has, we're going to want, or what someone has, we're going to covet. What someone has, we're not going to be able to get, we're not going to be able to selflessly give ourselves to others. But if you've got the peace of God in your heart, then the first thing that you will want for others is that they have that peace too. That's, I think that's the simplest way you know that you've got the gospel. Do you want others to have that? Do you want other people to know the peace of Christ that you've got, that you say you've got? I mean, let's, let's back up the truck a little bit and let's, let's talk for a second. If you say you know God, if you say you've got the peace of Christ, if I know Jesus, I know peace. If there is no Jesus, there is no peace. If you've got Jesus in you and the peace of Christ resides within you, it is unthinkable that we would not want others to have that peace. Why would we want people to have disruption and anxiety in their heart by taking them to another way away from Christ if we really have the peace of God within us? It makes sense, doesn't it? week I was in Chicago, right, and I didn't get to do much, but one night for about an hour, I went out with some friends, and we went to a place called, uh, uh, called Liquid Fusion Boba, and I didn't check in on Facebook like I usually do because I didn't want Olivia to be jealous, um, so this is our first time hearing this, but I did go. I'm not a huge boba fan, but Olivia is. She loved it. I'm not the kind of person who drives like 45 minutes to get a boba like some of y'all are. Some of you guys are thinking, ooh, quickly boba or chewy boba, all these things. And as soon as service is done, you're ready to make a beeline quickly as you can to get to wherever you need to go. But I'm not like that. I think boba's cool. I think it's nice. On a hot day, a slushy is good. And so I walked in this place. But immediately, they're like, this place is the happening place. It's the it place. We got there at 10.30 p.m. and it was packed. It was not a small place. It was packed with people. Like, what time does this place close? It closed at midnight by young people. It was hopping, right? So I was like, okay, all right. So these people, I went with six, uh, six of us all together, and they just started ordering all these like boring things like taro and strawberry and melon. I was like, eh, whatever. I'm going to get something cool. There's a slush, and I thought about all the different flavors, and they said, you can combine three fruit flavors together. So I said, I'm going to combine cherry i like cherry i don't like eating cherries necessarily but i like cherry like candy and artificial cherry stuff i like it because it's not too sour it's pretty sweet right i like cherry starburst skittles well skittles over anyways and then my favorite fruit of all when it comes to like candy popsicle stuff like that is orange orange i love orange but sometimes it can be a little bit tart okay so i said i'm gonna mix cherry and orange together in a slushy because it's hot outside i'm gonna get some boba in it and then everyone's like oh no one ever gets that and i was like okay well that's what i want to get that perfect sweet sour bam together it's going to be great glorious and so we're sitting down chilling and they start bringing our stuff out and everyone's drinking they're like "Ooh, this is good and there's people from like houston and chicago and and all different places so i'm drinking i take a sip of my of my cherry orange boba slushy and immediately, as soon as it touched my tongue, it was like my taste buds started leaping off and having this party like, oh, my goodness, this is liquid neck. This is like the food of the gods here. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And you know me. Uh, I don't mind sharing my food, but I'm not one to really share drinks, especially straws. Don't like that very much. But I said, y'all, check this. This is instant insanity. You need to try this. 
And they're like, you know, no, people are like, oh, no, don't worry about it. I said, no, listen, this is amazing. You've never had anything like this before. So I passed it to the guy on my, my left, and he took a sip of it, and he got some boba in his mouth. And this guy's eyes are not big. They're small. But when he tried it, his eyes nearly popped out of his head. And as he's chewing his boba, he said, wow. I said, keep it going. Pass it around. Pass it to his, to, to the, his fiance. She tried it. She's a southern, southern belle. And she's like, whoa, this is really good. Pass it on the next guy. I said, keep it going. Round and round, pass it quickly, you are bound. So the next person gets it. He's a foodie from Houston, and he drinks it. He, like, smacks his lips a little bit, and then he just goes off on this, like, the, the combination of this and this combining together on the palate make for a delectable something. I was like, okay, keep it going. The next two people, these are people from Chicago. One guy drinks it, then he turns around, he looks at the menu. He's like, what did you get? He's like, next time I'm going to get this. By the time I got it, it was filled with the slobber of a small village pretty much. And it was only about like this much left. I wasn't going to drink any more of it. But was I sad? I wasn't sad. You know why? Because when I experienced something that I thought was so great that I could not contain, it didn't matter if at cost to myself, it didn't matter what price I needed to pay if they were to experience the same kind of a goodness so that they could share in the moment. You know, this is why people, when it's so much easier to elope, that's why people have these elaborate weddings. Why? Because in the moment you want to share in the celebration with those whom you love and care about. Do you have the peace of God in your life? A peace of God that is infinitely greater than a cherry orange boba slushy. If you've got that in you, does it not make sense that you would want those whom you're closest to as well as those you've never met before to come to experience this kind of a peace? If there's not that desire, then again, it's not saying, God, I need to do it. It's going back to the beginning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, recognizing your poverty before God. That God, I knew at a point that I needed you. And I knew at a point that you were sweeter than anything else that this world could offer. But I've forgotten the beauty and the worth and the joy of knowing you. I repent and I mourn over my sin. And I hunger and thirst for righteousness again. Because when you get peace in you, in your heart, peace with God, this is the nature of peace. This is the nature of shalom. It begins here, and then it extends to ever-increasing circles. You long for the peace of your family, of your friends, of your nation, and then you work to bring healing to the injustices that are in the world. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. You will either be people who make peace, or you'll be people who who break peace. Which are you? Because what's in you, what's in you is going to come out. What fills is what spills. That's the first thing. Second thing that we see. Second thing that we see here. Our best efforts to make peace may not always end in peace. May not always make peace. What does that mean? You think about what it means to make peace I think a lot of what passes for peace these days is not really peace. It's a truce. 
or an armistice. You know, uh, North Korea and South Korea, when the war ended, the DMZ 38th parallel, there was no peace treaty. You know this, right? It was an armistice. It was a ceasefire. But there would be no, we were, we're under no illusions that there is peace on the Korean peninsula. At any moment, war could break out because there is not peace. And I think a lot of us settle for a truce or an armistice when it comes to our relationship. We're not divorced. No way we're not divorced. But we don't sleep in the same room anymore. We don't sleep in the same bed anymore. We don't talk anymore. And they're fine with that. Jesus says, with you, child of God, it's different. Hey, so what happened to that, that friend of yours you used to be real close with? Oh, we had a falling out. Yeah, we had a little bit of a falling out because some guy got in the way and yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. So you guys okay now? Well, we just don't talk. You okay with that? Because Jesus says you are better than that. And you've been called a higher than that. More than just making sure that things live in a cool, calm indifference Casual, callous, indifferent towards one another. You're called to more than that. But a lot of times, that's what we settle for. See, that's good enough. That's fine. That's cool. We don't need to be that. We don't need to be close anymore. That's fine. Just as long as, just as long as we're civil. That's all. It's all good. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not. That's not. Blessed are the peacemakers. The reason why so many of us settle for that is because. Peacemaking is not easy. Peacemaking, make peace. Anytime you make something, it requires effort. You make uh, music, you make a meal, you make a, a, a cloth, you knit together, you make whatever it is that you make, it requires effort. And peacemaking requires effort and time and energy and cost and sacrifice. That's why a lot of us are willing to check out and say, you know what, I'm cool, I'm cool not having peace with that person. Are there people that you're not at peace with today? Are there people in this room that you're not at peace with today? Is there someone for whom Christ died with whom you're not at peace with today? Jesus says the blessing comes to the peacemakers. You think about every Nobel Prize winner who's ever won a peace prize. And again, it may be a different context than what Jesus is talking about. But you think about Martin Luther King Jr. Think about Mother Teresa. Think about the Archbishop, Desmond Tutu, Nelson Mandela, all these great men and women. 1993, Itzhak Rabin, Prime Minister of Israel, shared the Nobel Peace Prize with the PLOs, Yasser Arafat, Right, the longest held conflict in the history of the world between the Palestinians and the Israelis. To make peace, he sacrificed a lot. In fact, four months after, he was killed by his own countrymen. And sometimes it costs us in order to make peace. That's why a lot of us settle for either breaking the peace or just carrying on cool, calm, callous, but not engaging. I, uh, in the past couple weeks, actually in the past couple months rather, I should say, in the past couple months I've had the privilege and, and, and enjoy being able to talk to some, uh, some pastors 
uh, in the way, who've been walking this journey longer than I have, and just asking advice. Two things that both of them said. One thing that both of them said. They both said, okay, one secret, one hint, one tip to long-term health in pastoral ministry. He says, the people that I don't get along with, people who don't like me, I take them out to eat lunch. Listen, if one person says that, you take that to mind. But if two people say that, you take that to heart. That's unthinkable, isn't it? You don't like someone? Send them a text. Call them up. Let's go out and eat lunch. And you conquer their hearts with the love that Christ has given to you. Who would do that? Nobody in the world. But shouldn't it be different for those of us who proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace? Shouldn't it be different? We're different. We're not like the world anymore. The countercultural ethic needs to play out in the places where people can see it. And that comes in the area of relationships. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, 18, he says, as far as possible, do whatever you can to live at peace with everyone. Whatever it takes, as far as it is possible, as long as it's possible with you. Matthew 5, Jesus says the same thing. He says, okay, let me, let me talk about this. Two things that Jesus says, if you read through the rest of chapter 5, he says this. He says, if your enemy, if you've got an enemy, love them. If someone is persecuting you, then pray for them. Why do you have relational conflict? Because they're persecuting you? Here's your answer. Here's what you need to do, Christian. Pray for them. You have an enemy for whatever reason. Somebody talks bad about you. They gossip about you. They lie about you. They spread lies. They slander you, all kinds of stuff. Just love them. <laughs> love them. The only way you can do that is if you've got the peace of God in your heart that doesn't need to fight for your rights. If I just be honest with you for a second, all right? Let me tell you how this is rubbing against my life. Somewhat recently, I'd say within the past year, um, there's been somebody that I've been really upset with. Somebody that uh, I could probably say for a little bit of time I hated this person. Uh, I'm not going to like pull out the car and say, that person is me or anything like that. This is a real person. Uh, <laughs> That person used to be, uh, I, I would say that person used to, and they're not in here or anything like that. So, um, person used to be a, a, a very strong advocate for me and for my ministry, a champion of what I was doing, believed in me. And, um, and within the past year, this person came up to me and in a somewhat public way um, made accusations about something that uh, they thought that I had done that I didn't, or they expected me to do that I didn't. Um, they yelled at me. Uh, they questioned me, even getting to the point of uh, getting physical with me. And when it happened, I was very angry. In fact, I cannot recall a time when I was more angry at a person in my life. I felt like I had been betrayed, I had been misunderstood. I had been 
backstabbed. I felt like I was a victim. I felt extremely angry by the actions of this person. And I remember, I mean, I don't say this to a lot. I I haven't said this to very many people, just a very close circle of, of, of friends who I know will pray for me about this or people to whom I just needed to get this off of my heart. And I called this person names, not to their face, but as I was explaining the story. I didn't curse or anything like that, but I did call them names, things that I shouldn't have said. And in the times, the rare times that I saw this person, I did everything that I could to hold back my anger and to just walk the other way. Because I was so filled with almost a sense of rage at what I felt was an injustice that had been perpetrated against me. It was very difficult. A couple nights soon after it happened, I had a hard time sleeping because I was just filled with all of these different emotions and all of it toxic. And when I heard those two pastors say those things and I began to study this passage and get it into my heart, the Spirit of God began to just wrestle with the sinful heart within me. And I knew that I could not continue in relationship with this person in this way. And so the first thing that I did was I just, I went before God and I began to repent. And there was all grace in my interactions with God. I just felt like God was saying, son, that's not how I would have done it. So I repented. But I'm sorry for the way that I thought about this person, the things that I said about them, the way that I uh, avoided that person. and, And then I was praying for this person. And I'm not one to often cry. I'm not, I mean, the second, third row here, these sisters, they cry a lot, but I'm not really like that. But I, I just began to be moved to, to, to tears as I thought, and, and, you know, this is God's gift to me, just breaking my heart. And where I would have been angry, he replaced it with compassion. Where I would have trash-talked, he replaced it with words of blessing. He just began to fill my heart with words of compassion as I prayed for this person. And instead of, and and recently I've been able to see this person. And instead of walking the other way, I've done whatever I could to get into their presence in order that I could engage with them, in order that I could smile at them, in order that I could talk with them, because I know that I have within me something that enables me to act far different from the ways the rest of the world does. And if I cannot do it in a relationship as a child of God, then what different am I from the people we read about in the newspaper? What different am I from a person who doesn't believe in God? What different am I than an atheist who doesn't believe that there's a God who's able to change? And as they began to move towards this person, this person, the last time I saw them, they began to thaw and to give a hint of a smile. And to me, the, the, the response of that person does not dictate my desire to say I did everything that I could in order to show Christ and to treat that person better than they have treated me. Because that's what God has done for me in Christ. 
And maybe that person will never reciprocate the love that I have. I, I do say with all of my heart, I believe in my heart that I love this person, that my attitude has changed, that I have seen with a, a fresh set of eyes, with compassion and with tenderness and with love. But I will continue to do that. I will continue to pursue this person, whether or not they ever respond to me in a way that I want them to respond. Because peacemaking is a two-way street. We do whatever we can, knowing that sometimes our best efforts to make peace will not actually make peace. God gave his best effort to make peace with you and me in paying the ultimate price so that there could be peace, and yet still knowing that there would be people who would not respond to the terms of peace in the gospel. Listen, we're either going to be peacemakers or we'll be peacebreakers. Peacemaking is to move towards the person, not to stay in a casual uh, distance from them, but to move towards them as God has done for us, to us in Christ. And even though we do, we understand that our best efforts to make peace may not yield peace. The last thing that we see is that when we make efforts to make peace, we show God to the world. My um, children, as they grow in age, are beginning to grow in their unique personality. As Elise just turned one year old, um, we're beginning to realize and see more of her personality. When um, The other day, Elijah has this toy guitar, and he was like uh, strumming the guitar and playing this song, and it was like auto-playing, and so he's just moving his hands. And Elise would crawl towards him, and she would get on her knees, she would get on her knees, and she would lift her hand in the air, and she would do like this. I'm like, dang, we got a little dancing princess on our hands. And I, and I think about my wife, Olivia, and I think that's where Elise gets her dancing genes from. And then Elijah, someone recently, one of her auntie, one of Elijah's aunties said, you know what, I've been spending some time with Elijah, and I've begun to notice that he has an expansive vocabulary, and he's using very large words. He's using words like occasionally, and uh, what was the other word? Uh, Actually, he said actually when he decides to change his mind. And then, this, <laughs> and then this auntie said it makes sense because his mommy was an English major. She loved the poetry of Yeats and all these great people. And then Nanny, our darling eldest daughter, when she goes into a room and she changes into her blue Elsa dress and she sings Let It Go, she not only sings it, but she gets her water bottle for a microphone and with emotion and with conviction she sings let it go and we walk in and she feels embarrassed and then i see her holding her microphone singing and then i remember the videos that some people have sent of olivia singing karaoke and i realize that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree we look at our children and we see olivia can look at them and say yeah they're mine Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Even if your best efforts to make peace never actually make peace, the reality is there's still a blessing for you. Oh my goodness. To be called a child of God. There are a lot of reasons people might think that person is a child of God. You know, one of the Trashy TV shows of our, my generation 
one of many, these daytime talk shows, Ricky Lake and uh, Jerry Springer. But there was a, a famous one called Maury, named that Maury Povich. And, and one of the popular topics and themes of the show was called the paternity test, where people who had done a lot of bad things and made a lot of compromises in their relationships were not sure who the father of their child is. And so they'll come on the show and there'll be this big backstory. And beforehand they had done a DNA paternity test and they'll say, you know, this is why I think you're the dad. This is why I'm not the dad. Or this is why you're not the dad. This is why I am the dad. And they have this big argument about it. And then right before the revelation, Maury looks at the man and says, if you are the father, what are you going to do if this is your child? And he promises, I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to pay for the child, all this stuff. And then in this great moment of revelation, they bust out the thing and they say either, you are not the father or you are the father. And either there'll be applause and cheering or they'll be crying and weeping. It's, it's, it's really crazy. It's insane. Don't watch it. But <laughs> the paternity test is the one way that you tell the person is really, uh, that if, if that person is really a child of that father. And Jesus says, listen, you can fool a lot of people, but let me tell you, here is the spiritual paternity test. If you're a peacemaker, then you show people you're a child of God because it is so rare in our world people to actually move towards the conflict and move towards the damage and move towards the breaches and move towards the cheating and to move towards the injustice and to make the wrongs right. So rare that when God looks at a person like that, says, that's my boy. <laughs> that's, my, that's my child. He called child of God. People stand up and notice. Throughout the Bible, we see God saying, He's a God of peace. When His Son comes, there will be glory to God in heaven and peace on earth. He will be called the Prince of Peace. Why? Why does He tell us? Why does He tell us to pray for your enemies? Because when he looked over Jerusalem, the city that would betray him, Jesus wept for their sin. Why does he tell us? Why does he tell us that we need to love those who don't do any good to us? Because God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Why does he tell us that when people persecute you and do all kinds of wrong, that you would forgive them. Because when his son, his son, the only true son of God hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Why does he say that we need to treat others better than they treat us? Because Jesus Christ, who was and is and will always be God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing and became a servant and became obedient even to the point of death. Why will we be called sons of God? Because we will reflect the life of the true Son of God and we will reflect 
the Father who is the Father of peace. Isaiah 53 says it is His punishment that has brought us peace. And by His wounds, we're healed. There's a price to peace. But He's paid it already. He's paid it so that we could have it. And in having it, it will never run dry so that we can be peacemakers to a world that desperately needs it. Blessed are you, peacemaker, for you will be called sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. We take a moment to pray. Can we think about this? Two relationships. Do you have peace in your relationship with God? Is there peace in your heart? If there's not, then you need the Prince of Peace in your life and in your heart. You can acknowledge that your sins have caused chaos, but his death and life can bring peace. You can invite Jesus into your life right now to be your Savior so that peace can reign, so that the peace in your relationships that you've been longing for all of your life can actually be made possible. You can take that first step now by putting your trust in Christ. Second, maybe some of us as children of God have relationships that have been severed. And you're okay to be like that. Maybe it's with a sister. Maybe it's with a brother. Maybe it's with an in-law. Maybe it's with a parent. Maybe it's with a friend who used to be a friend of yours. Maybe someone who betrayed your trust. move towards forgiveness as we look at the cross. Sometimes you have to see someone loving someone before you can love them yourself. See Jesus. He died on the cross for you. But he died on the cross for them also. He forgave their sins because he loved them. And they've committed far more sins against Jesus than they have against you. And seeing Jesus love them, maybe you can take that first step towards loving them too. Lord, help me to love them the way that you do. Let's move towards Jesus. Move towards the brokenness. Move towards the broken relationships. Let's pray to the Lord God for his grace and mercy to help us in our time. Let's pray together for a couple moments and then I'll pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have loved us with an everlasting love. You have loved us with a love that pursued our peace, even at the cost of the Son of God, in order that in receiving life in him, we too can be called sons and daughters of God. Lord, awaken our hearts to see the beauty of who you are. Teach us to love and to live as you have loved us. Lord, many of us, as we think about this, we feel that we don't have it in us. 
we feel like we don't have enough strength. But Lord, we pray that, Jesus, you would be the strength that we need, that you would be our strength and our everything, so that we might not only think this to be a good idea, but we would move towards obedience to know the blessing and the joy that's found in obedience. We thank you. We love you because you've loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.